Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All Star Squadron. to the tales of the Justice Society of America. This is episode 62, dudes. I am Scott Gardner, and I am joined, as always, by my buddy, Mike Bailey. How's it going, Mike? It's going great. Uh, My back freaking hurts from picking up comic boxes all day. (laughs) So, uh, you know, there is the idea of having a large comic book collection, and then there is the reality. Yeah, the physical reality of it, yes. Of it. You know, you don't think of the time that it takes. You don't think of the amount, you know, especially if you have to find where to store them, and you have to move the box, and it's like, damn. So, uh, <laughs> it was fun. Uh, I always like digging through the boxes, and now my DCs are organized. My Marvels are still in a shit state. Which uh, which bothers me to no end, but I'm learning to live with it. I feel you. I feel you. A couple, uh, it's probably a couple months ago now. I, you know, I've always been organized with my comics. I'm, I'm kind of anal retentive that way. But because, you know, like you say, I, I now have a very large collection. I have a lot of comic boxes and my, my boxes are stacked four deep. 
they tend to pile up on top of the boxes until it gets to a point where it's like, God, I really need to to put the new ones away, you know, file the new ones. Mm-hmm. So I took that upon myself. It was probably about two months ago. And yeah, it was an entire day's process only because you've got to constantly move boxes all day long. And it, it's like moving, you know, it's literally like moving days. So by the end of the day, I mean, you're you're tired and you're sweaty and sore and <laughs> it is, it's brutal. So <laughs> I, I like having them, but yeah, yeah. There, there are days where it's like, man, I would, you know, you, you just want to put them all on eBay and go all digital, you know? <laughs> Well, it, it's like today I, I reminded myself of why I love my DC collection. And I was looking at my Marvel collection. And, and you really start thinking about, well, what could I just get rid of? Mm-hmm. What could tomorrow I wake up and someone says, you've got to get rid of a certain number of comics. Which ones would go? And I really would have to say, even if I was in like on a Marvel kick at the time, I know that I'll always love the DC books. Yep. And it's just like the Marvel books, while there are some that I would like to keep, you know, there's a bunch in there. It's like, why the hell did I buy that entire run of Moon Knight? Right, yeah. (laughs) Oh, wait, it was in a dollar box, and I had the money. And it's just like, I'm never going to read Moon Knight. See, talking to you about these things makes me feel like a little less of a freak, because I was afraid that that was just, you know, something I was doing, (laughs) where... You know, there there is, as proud as I am of my collection, I know that there is a, a, a sizable percentage of just fluff. You know, yeah, just, just shit definitely. that... You know, because I, I think you and I have, have acquired our collections in very similar ways, whereas we have bought collections to build a collection. Mm-hmm. And buying a collection, you know, I, I'm one of these kind of people, I, I, I have attachment issues, you know? I'll buy a large collection with the intent that I'm going to weed out the couple of things that I cared to buy the collection for in the first place, resell everything else just to try to make my money back. And that worked for a long, long time. But then what started to happen over the years was I would buy these large collections and I would pull out the stuff that I bought the collection for. And then as I was in the process of like about to sell everything else, I'd get to looking through that stack and go, you know, I might want to read that one day. You know, this is the umpteenth time I've had this series and, you know, stuff like that, you know, and and trying to predict the day when, you know, while I might not give a rat's ass about, you know, uh, weird war stories <laughs> this year, next year I might be on that kick. You, know, yeah. you never know. You know, I mean, I don't know how many times over the years... I have suddenly discovered some title and I'm like, damn, I know I used to have a run of this and I sold it because I wasn't interested in it then. Now I'm hunting it and can't find it for a decent price. So you you start second guessing yourselves on, gee, maybe I should hang on to this. And so more and more, you know, in recent years, I bought collections or, or, you know, random issues or whatever and just held on. I, I didn't resell anything. And so through that process, I have found myself with just a lot of, um, I hate to say junk, but a lot of junk, you know, a lot of just filler, you know, a lot of fluff that I probably won't ever read it. Or maybe it's, you know, it's got some, you know, one-off 
cameo appearance by a character I actually do care about, you know, but it's in a book I could care less about, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I know what you mean. Back in 96 and 97, two of my friends sold me their comics. Mm -hmm. Uh, My friend Chuck, who I ended up being, not not comic dealer Chuck Sheffy. Hey, Chuck. I know you're listening. Uh, but the other Chuck who worked at Titans at one point. Crack uh, Chuck Sheffy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, Chuck Rowland, who was the best man at my wedding, he sold me a bunch of comics. And that's how I got a lot of my Infinity Incorporated and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And that was really cheap. And then my friend Ryan sold me the bulk of his collection for a really good price and then that comic shop Fishers that was over by Titans was going out of business and at one point he's just like you know for 50 bucks you can fill up a long box so that is where I went from having like 1500 books to having 8000 you know in a very short amount of time Right. and since that time I take advantage of half off sales and 50 cent boxes and stuff like that where you can get a lot of books for a really cheap price because you're putting together a collection of something. And then I like, it's not that I have buyer's remorse, but there is kind of like the, the, the comic book equivalent of having a hangover. Right. Where like, you know, like a couple months later, you look at what you bought and go, what the hell did I just do? (laughs) And I'm really trying to curb my impulse because I have a horrible impulse control problem when it comes to buying comics. It's awful. But what I'm trying to do now and what I've done over the past couple of months is that I've focused it onto something that I really care about, which is my Superman collection. Right. And trying to get there. Because my goal with my Superman collection is to have every main Superman book and team book. And I don't want to go with appearances because that could get a little crazy. Because what if he was like, you know, what if he was like in Biscuit Man number two, just flying across the the page? I mean, it's right. really worth having. But you know, like World's Finest and um, you know Justice League of America and stuff like that. And from the Bronze Age till today, because I don't know if I want to dip into the Silver Age because that can get quite expensive. Right. But uh, but what I'm finding is though. And it's really Dave's Comics in Fayetteville that is at fault for this, is he keeps buying collections and putting stuff in the $3 bin. Because to me, $3 is still a reasonable price for a back issue. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're, especially since he'll sometimes give deals. Like if you buy a bunch, he'll knock it down to like $2 a book. And then it's just like, well, hell yeah. <laughs> yep. I'll take five. Thank you very much. So That's how they uh, hook you. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, he uh, he keeps buying these collections, dude. And I keep walking in and seeing stuff. I walked in the other day, about damn near cried because he bought a Superpowers Batmobile, and suddenly I'm ten, uh, nine, ten years old again in Mountaintop, Pennsylvania, and I'm looking at it, and the battering ram worked, and the little claw thing on the back worked, and the headlights popped up, and I was just like, <laughs> little kid again. I had one of these. <laughs> That was my favorite toy growing up, dude. That, that, and I'm sure you have something similar from when you were a kid. Oh, uh, yeah. But that Batmobile was the shit to have. And you talk to a lot of guys my age and around my age, they'll tell you the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted one. I never did have the superpowers Batmobile, but I always wanted one. And every once in a while when I see one around, I still consider picking it up. 
Well, you had a lot of cool Mego. Yeah, yeah, I had Migos. I had the Mego Batmobile, which was pretty cool, but it wasn't my favorite. That that version of the of the Batmobile you're talking about, that Superpowers one, that that's probably my favorite version of the Batmobile. Actually, I always really, really liked that one. I thought it was very slick looking. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. It's the sleekest and the you know the the '60s one I'll always love because just you know growing up on the television series, you right. see that Batmobile and it's cool. And and there's something very cool I think about the Golden Age one with the giant bat head on the sedan. <laughs> uh, but I don't think they've ever really topped um, the the '80s version of the Batmobile because right. the one right after that was that Lamborghini version uh, that Bray, Norm Brayfogle I never liked that one very much. As much as I really like Brayfogle and I love his art, I never liked his Batmobile very much. And then they started like drawing the Batmobile like in the freaking Schumacher films and that thing, and both of those Batmobiles sucked every bit of ass there is on planet <laughs> Earth and I think some on Mars as well. So, and, and, and how can you call the Tumblr a Batmobile? That is not a Batmobile. No. Batmobile is a cool car. It's not a freaking tank. But I that agree. Will, that will lead us into a bitch fest that will be epic <laughs> in proportion and probably take up the entire. And this is, and we're sitting here talking about what we want to talk about. This is supposed to be for the the listeners. This episode. So. This is true. This is our big, uh, our epic. Well, I don't know how epic it'll be, but it, it, this is our <laughs> listener <laughs> appreciation episode. We wanted to. Uh, we wanted to say, for one thing, we wanted to say sorry that we have not been around in a while, and and that is my fault entirely. Um, I'll get into that in a little while, but uh, and we have uh, once again we've had a little lapse in episodes for which I apologize. Um, but we wanted to say hi, we're back, and uh, shout out the listeners. We have gotten way far behind in uh, listener feedback, so we kind of want to try to catch up on that. And just address some other things that are uh, strictly uh, listener-related. So, yeah, welcome to our uh, hopefully epic (laughs) listener appreciation episode. However, before we get into that, I just had one thing. You know, it occurred to me today, as a matter of fact, while I was thinking about uh, this episode, that something... I, I guess I need to, unfortunately, even though this is the listener appreciation episode, I need to take you people to task about something. It occurs to me that we are now 62 episodes into Tales of the Justice Society of America, and we have never been sponsored. And I'm like, wow, really? How How is that possible? How has that happened? So... You know, I, I've never been all that comfortable with the whole asking for money thing anyway. It doesn't really bother me one way or the other, but it just occurred to me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just lightly joking about this. However, it, it occurs to me that whoever does end up being the first sponsor, we're going to be totally like kissing their ass because that's going to be like an epic event when that finally happens. We're going to be like, <laughs> hey, we got sponsored. So, uh... You know, we, we always have the little thing on the show about how you can, uh, you know, individually sponsor an episode and all that. So uh, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there right now. First person that does that, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to get their butt majorly smooched about that whole thing. So uh, don't be shy, folks. Somebody step up and, and be the first. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I think Devin Clancy kind of sponsored an episode for us. This is true. This is uh, true. But that, he actually... That wasn't, that wasn't his intention, but... no. 
you know, but I still consider that kind of because we did say he um, he sm- we a couple episodes ago we said this one's brought to you by Devin Clancy, but uh, did we? I thought we did. Maybe you're right. You you are the one with the memory, sir, and I am the one with no memory. So that, that, that's very that's very possible. No, but but I don't think anybody has ever sent in. And, and and again, I'm like Scott. I'm not saying send us money because that's just mean, and that's not what I. You know, that's that's not what I'm in this for. Right. I'm not here. I'm not podcasting to make money because if I was podcasting to make money, I'd be doing like a show about the, the cutting edge of comic book news and kissing every bit of creator butt that I can to get interviews and stuff and never really being able to express my personal opinion about something ever again for fear of losing some contact or some in with Marvel or DC or some other company. And generally probably being miserable and uh, a broken shell of a man. <laughs> so, um, d- with that, yeah, I'd be a broken shell of a man. That, that's all there is to it. But, you know, it is always kind of cool when someone says, hey, here's a little money in the tip jar. Exactly. Exactly. Or just send us stuff like Alan Leach used to. <laughs> Not that I'm complaining, Alan. Please don't take it like that. I'm just. But he uh, switched and he sends stuff to Chris Honeywell now. Oh, he's cheating uh. on us. <laughs> yeah, he's starting to send all his stuff to Jeffrey and, and, and Chris. There you go. And we're out in the cold. <laughs> but no, you're absolutely right uh, that uh, Devin actually sponsored. I would say he sponsored us in swag. Is kind of yes. how that worked out, and that's you know that to me is ten times more awesome than than any uh any monetary amount because he uh he appealed to us right where we live so this was awesome and i I, back issues yes exactly (laughs) and i I feel so bad because i I feel like we we've been almost remiss in in getting around to this segment but we just needed a place to to properly fit it in because this is gonna this is gonna take up a sizable amount of the episode more than likely but just uh Really giving uh, Devin's uh, generosity. Well, your, your section's going to take up more of the episode. You went, <laughs> you went quantity, and I and I and I chose a couple high-priced books. There you so. go. Well, do we want to? Do we want to get into that? Do we want to cover? Sure. Um, I, I like we mentioned. I don't know how many episodes ago. I can't. Uh, I lose track of what happened on a particular episode number about the time I finish editing the episode. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, we, we got a thing from Devin, as we said, and he offered us some credit at his, uh, comic collector live store. And it's the first time I've ever actually gotten anything from that comic collector live is this online, basically inventory uh, system for your comics. And what you can also do is open up a little store. I don't know if you have to kick, comic collector live a certain percentage of the sale or whatever um because it is pretty much an online store you can use paypal or credit card and stuff like that and he said hey here's a gift certificate essentially right and uh scott the first thing scott and i did was discuss what we were going to get because we didn't want to double up and order the same thing basically um I guess it just proves we're friends or something that that we considered that as part of what we it had. Proves to do I'm it. getting soft is what it proves. <laughs> I should have jumped on that and gotten everything you wanted to. In fact, I should have I should have taken your list and gotten that just to piss you off. 
But uh, I didn't I'll even look- want that book. I just didn't want you to have it. <laughs> Ass clown. <laughs> that is what you are. But um, I used my credit to fill in a few holes in that Superman collection I was talking about. Um, and I completely lost track of where that email was. I'm going to be doing <laughs> editing, obviously. Where is... Oh, here it is. So, I- instead of buying, like, a, a, a... Like, getting a bunch of $2 books and stuff to fill out uh, maybe a run or something, I decided to go for some kind of high-priced, you know, late silver, early Bronze Age Superman books. So, I... I grabbed uh, Superman 213, 214, 216, 217, 227, 242, and 243. 242 is the last uh, chapter of the Sandman saga, uh, which was the literally the last issue I needed in that uh, f- to complete that particular run of that book. Uh and 257, I picked up a couple recent books, too. Um, back when I decided, uh, when I horribly disappointed Scott and uh, started reading the Superman titles again, uh, <laughs> I had to go back and, and fill in my action run. And 890, which was the first part of the Paul Cornell Lex Luthor story, eluded me. Uh, my good friend Garrett Eisen uh, who I'll be hanging out with this weekend at uh, at the one day Atlanta Comic Convention show picked up uh, a copy for me and he's just like, well, it was ten bucks and I'm like, well, that makes sense because it was kind of one of those issues that snuck in on the radar. But what he got, which is was just as cool, was the variant cover uh, from his store, and I wanted the the normal cover because I'm weird like that with Superman books. So I picked up the normal cover for that and the first two issues of Flashpoint Batman Night of Vengeance uh, to kind of fill in what I was buying for Flashpoint. So it was really... The covers on these Superman books, I'm looking at them right now, are just freaking gorgeous. Two of them turned out to be like 80-page giants. Uh, which I absolutely love, and I know you do too, because you're yeah. covering those on. You covered like one of those. Two thirty two, um, right? Was one of those. Two seventeen has a uh, the famous first with the first Supergirl. How Superman met Lori the Mermaid. The first battle with Brainiac. Uh, Mala, Superman's uh, first Kryptonian foe, and the origin of Metallo. Did you know Metallo was a Daily Planet reporter? No. Yeah, he was a reporter. I was um I was very uh, when I read that I was very surprised to see and the other one has like Superman gets all messed up essentially. Is <laughs> what it boiled down to uh with uh all the crazy transformations because of red kryptonite. Oh, I like those stories. Uh 213 and 214 have beautiful covers. Uh, as do 216 and 217. The uh, 213 is Superman laying on the ground with a with a quill in his hand and a bottle of ink spilled on the uh, on the floor, and it says, "This vault to be opened only in the event of my death." And as he was signing his name on the end, is apparently when he died because the end scratches down to the bottom of the paper. Uh, 214. Has him being menaced by Metallo and Zavam, 
the ghosts that haunted Superman. And he looks all scared while Lois is going, huh? Because <laughs> that Lois is good at that. 216 is a Joe Kubert cover of him taking off a military outfit and about to fight this giant oh yeah thyroid condition person who looks all kinds of messed up uh but they were they were in gorgeous condition the 242 which is that Neil Adams cover of Superman fighting Superman over a uh fire destruction city of metropolis that thing was damn near perfect and that was really cool. 243 has a great cover of Superman kissing a woman. And you get a really nice butt shot of her, actually. She's in this skin-tight green costume. Who is the mystery woman that captured Superman's heart and soul? Right toward the very end of the original Jonah Hex series, Jonah Hex Volume 1, they had an homage of that cover where it was Hex kissing a woman. But it was it was totally taken from that cover. So, and 257 was um, Superman with these two kids going, Don't be afraid, boys. There's nobody in this forest but us. And you see in the ground underneath them that there's this, like, alien-looking dude like uh, Louis Gossett Jr. from Enemy Mine uh, (laughs) under the ground, like, with a some kind of gun that's about to fire upwards. And uh, what I like about that cover is this was the time when the Superman uh, title had the Neil Adams Superman flying across the top over the logo look. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Those issues always seem kind of more awesome to me because uh, it has that Neil Adams Superman on them. Right. I love those. I am really glad that I have completed the the, the action in the Superman collections because i'm really interested in real i think i'm gonna end up enjoying action more than superman though because action during the uh, bronze age had the better covers superman had some nice covers most of them were done by neil adams um especially like 252 which has all the flying heroes and yeah um and there's 245 which is this beautiful it's got it's Murphy Anderson did the cover. You got Superman on the front, like holding up two posters because it's another one of those anthology reprint books. But on the back of two forty five, which I managed to pick up recently, is Airwave and Super Chief and Superman and Hawkman and Kid Eternity, all with their arms folded. And with the exception of Kid Eternity, every single one of them is cut and looks like he wants to kick your ass. It's awesome. I love <laughs> this cover. Superman's got this smirk like, yeah, I'm Superman. What are you going to do? No, seriously, what are you going to do? You can't do anything because I'm Superman. You could wash clothes on this stomach. Do you got abs like this? No, because I'm Kryptonian and you can never get abs like this. (laughs) The day Superman became a jerk. (laughs) Well, that was it for me. Um, You you definitely got the... uh, (laughs) I wouldn't say you got the better end of the deal, but you got a crap load of books. See, I'm wondering which one of us, Devin, eventually wound up hating more. Was it you because you got all the high-end books, or was it me because I basically cleaned him the hell out? You know, that's, that's what I'm really wondering here. So he's going to have to write in and let us know which one of us uh, he ended up really uh, regretting this. Despising. <laughs> 
just on the shipping of what my my shipping alone must have cost for this massive pile of books, <laughs> you know, I'm sure he was like, "Damn, why did I do this again?" But no, I because he's awesome. That's he why he's totally awesome. I sincerely, sincerely appreciated his awesome gesture. And yes, I did parlay this into quite the little stack here. Um, this is basically enough to fill its own small box. It's crazy. So, yeah, I'm going to run through these. Um, <laughs> if you're standing, you might want to sit. <laughs> so we've got, uh, first off, Action Comics number 389. Now, this is the, the first one in the stack where it's actually replacing a copy that I already have. I'm still, I, even after all these years... I am still replacing coverless comics in my collection from when I was a kid. I had a lot, a lot of Bronze Age coverless comics because I had uh, a parent and several other uh, like uh, uncles and stuff that worked in paper mills. And when they found out that I liked comics as a kid, they would literally drop by the house and just dump off boxes full of coverless comics. And so I just had tons of them. And to this day, I am still replacing copies out of my collection. So this one's a weird one. It's uh, Superman <laughs> striking out as this kid throws a, this weird-looking curveball at him. And uh, the, the people are actually taunting and making fun of Superman. And the guy behind him says, ha-ha. He's got muscles, but he's no super mantle. And I just want to see <laughs> Superman, you know, keep in mind that not only is he super powerful, he's holding a fucking baseball bat. I just want to <laughs> see him ape shit crazy and start smacking people with it. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? How about when I knock your head into orbit? Exactly. I bet I could bat your head to the moon. <laughs> So, uh, let's see, moving right along, we got Action Comics 397, which, uh, you know, there's nothing nothing sadder to me than Superman in a wheelchair. It, this is just the, the saddest looking cover I've ever seen, and I've got to know what the story is with this. It's a great story. I haven't read it, but Charlie Niemeyer covered it on uh, Superman in the Bronze Age, and that story is just so awesome. You'll love the second part of it. It looks really good. He's hanging his head. He says, Lois is married. Jimmy's a big wheel. <laughs> Which I'm thinking of the actual, like, Mattel big wheel now. That would be... <laughs> all, my friends... <laughs> all my friends gone. The world doesn't need me anymore. That's oh, I just want to cry for Superman. That's so sad. Um... We've got, I'm pretty sure this is, ah, yeah, it is. It's a Nick Cardi cover on uh, Action Comics 443 where Superman's folding back the page and letting out uh, Adam Strange, Hawkman, the Black Pirate, uh, Green Lantern, Batman, and the Atom. That's a really good Nick Cardi cover. I like that a lot. And let's see, moving right along, we've got Adventure Comics. And this was out of Tailwind. This was actually called Weird Adventure Comics beautiful beautiful cover by uh jim apero on here of the specter all weird and distorted in the background of this guy underwater drowning as this skeleton holds him down and this giant like barracuda looking thing is about to eat him now i just got on a kick with wanting to fill in my collection of these because not only are these specter stories by apero awesome 
But I just found out that some of the backup stories in these are, for me personally, must-haves because there's uh, some Aquaman stuff by Mike Grell. Got to get that stuff. I love this era of Mike Grell. This is still like early, hungry Mike Grell, and I really like that stuff a lot. Uh, let's see here. Got an issue of Brave and the Bold. Brave and the Bold, number 172, Batman and Firestorm. And I got it pretty much just because it was Batman and Firestorm. I have no idea if it's going to be any good or not. I'm hoping it's an Apero issue, but I haven't even opened it to find out yet. Got a couple issues of Captain America just to fill in holes. I got 340 and 414. Art's a little wonky. I have no idea what to expect. But 340 is an issue where... Um, I'm presuming this is Steve Rogers wearing the uh, the captain outfit, you know, the black one. Ooh. I guess it could be the other guy, but it's just it has the captain on the cover, and I'm a sucker for that. Which issue number is it? Three forty. That would be Steve Rogers. Awesome, because I like that outfit. I like it when he was wearing it, though. When he became the other guy, the U.S. agent, I was like, nah, I could care less. Except when John Byrne drew it in Avengers West Coast, when it was awesome. That's true. Yeah, that was some good stuff. I got Charlton Bullseye number one. I have wanted this for a long, long time and could not believe that this was one of the ones offered to me in this deal. Uh, It features the Blue Beetle and the Question. This is an actual Charlton book, and I have literally been chasing that for quite a while. I'm a fan of both of those characters in the, the old Charlton days. Purely on a whim, I filled in all the issues I need to complete my run of DC Challenge. I've heard different things about this over the years, but I've always wanted to read it. Um, up till now, I've only ever had two issues of it. I had number one and then another random issue somewhere in the thing. He had that, that, well, that's but, another thing we got to put on the 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 shelf or the uh, the queue. Uh, in all honesty, because I have an entire run of that too, and I've never read it. So, I mean, there's a lot of talent on this. So yeah, I, I would totally be into. Uh, to covering that sometime just to see if it was any good. Plus, it had Jonah Hex in it, and I forgot that uh, that I didn't have a complete collection of these, and I, I pride myself on having a complete Jonah Hex collection, so somehow or other that had escaped my notice. Uh, let's see. Again, purely on a whim, I picked up uh, the Doom Patrol and Suicide Squad Special Number 1, just because I didn't have it, so picked that up. Uh, Legion of Superheroes. This is from the... Uh, Five years later, Legion, number 18. Just an issue I didn't have, so I picked that up. Whole bunch of issues of Manhunter. This is that, uh, what is her name? Kate Spencer? Is that her name? Ooh, a lot of that's good. Yeah, bunch of issues of that that I didn't have already because uh, I still have not finished this series, and I really want to know how it wound up. So picked up a bunch of that. The bulk of what I got, and it shocked the hell out of Devin, I think, that I wanted these. I, yeah, I, he, I'm trying to remember how he worded it, but he sent me a message, something about uh, this next bunch that I got. And I just told him, I was like, no, no, this is awesome because I've actually been chasing this stuff for a long time. Was I got a massive, massive stack of Marvel Age magazines. And I really have been chasing these for a long time. I'm trying to complete a collection. Now, Marvel Age, for those that don't know, it was kind of an in-house, I guess you would almost call it like a like a newsletter slash catalog slash um, promo type of deal. Yeah. 
that Marvel did. And they came out, I believe they were monthly. And yes, they were. Yeah, they, they were like the size of a comic, but the page count was a lot less. The page count was maybe, what, like 12 pages or something like that. And they were always significantly cheaper than an actual comic on the stands. Like these, some of the issues I have here are like 35 cents or what. But they were usually like half price or even less of whatever comics cost at that, you know, whatever a Marvel comic cost at that time. And it was really a promotional item that was for sale. It, it told you everything. It had like a checklist of what was coming out for that particular month. It had... Uh, promotional pieces that might be pimping some new book that was out or coming out had creator interviews um stan soapbox or uh you know write-ups with uh jim shooter that sort of thing it was really it was an in-house book all about promoting marvel by any given month and i love these things they're just there's such a beautiful time capsule of what was happening in marvel at any particular month and I like them for the creator interviews that are in them. And I love the covers. I mean, the covers are usually worth the price of admission alone because they're all original covers. And it was the top talent working at Marvel at the time on any given issue. So I got a ton of those. And uh, I was really glad to, to get them because some of them are really, really cool. Like uh, just for an example, one here, number 36, a Daredevil cover by uh, Mazzucchelli. Is that the one where he's got like on a snow covered? Yeah, yeah, that's the one where they're promoting Born Again, if I'm correct. I think so. Yeah, There's- you can also in early issues read articles by Peter David, mm-hmm. uh, which I always thought was kind of cool. Just uh, tell me what issues you need, by the way, because I have a big stack. Definitely, of those that I'm yeah, willing to part with. So there's one here. I think you'd get a kick out of it's uh, number thirty eight, where uh, it says He Man puts ah yeah He-Man muscles in on Marvel. He's, and he's doing the flexing because that's yeah. that's when uh, Masters of the Universe came to Star Comics. A really nice cover on uh, number forty. Now I'm not a Herb Trimpy fan by any stretch of the imagination, but this is a beautiful Herb Trimpy cover on number forty. Special preview of GI Joe Special mm-hmm. Editions. Ah, oh, yeah, those are. And you're right, because uh, I got a Chuck Sheffy gave me a whole stack of those back in '97, and I and I sat through uh, during my lonely single days when I had nothing better to do <laughs> than read comics. Um, I sat through for a couple of days and just read issue after issue, and was just fascinated by the the opinion columns because Roger Stern had a column at one point, right. Mark Gruenwald had a column. And it's just, it's just neat to read, uh, and and you're absolutely right. It's like getting. It's why I buy old issues of Amazing Heroes. Yes, because you get, you get a sense of what the the comic reading world was like in 1985. You know, just as a pulling out of the air example. Mm-hmm. And uh, one, it's kind of cool to see what everyone was excited about back then. And two, it's kind of depressing. That comic fandom really hasn't changed at all. <laughs> this is very true as well. Well, They're also you whiny. can see how cyclical the uh, the whole industry really is, uh-huh. you know, and that that people were in a panic about a lot of things happening back then that are being sort of mirrored with things that are happening today. So it, it does sort of 
give you a sense of perspective. And it also sort of, in a weird sort of way, it almost uh, is comforting that you can get really worked up about things that really bother you or piss you off or whatever. But with a little patience and uh, perspective, you, you know, you come to see that if the industry can just manage to survive and weather bad times, that it's more than likely going to come back and maybe even stronger than, than before. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I picked up at that last one day show I went to issue 91 of amazing heroes, which was their big crisis on infinite earths post game issue it has this beautiful George Perez cover. And I read through it and in the letter section, one of the first letters leads off. I don't have it right in front of me, so I can't read it to you. I was planning to do that when we were gearing up for our crisis coverage, or I may bring it up on Comics Monthly Monday uh, over at the Two True Freaks proper. But the opening part of one of the letters in the letters page, uh, Amazing Readers, you could pull, you, you could type that up just word for word what he writes in the opening paragraph slap it up on facebook today and everyone would think you were talking about what dc's doing right now <laughs> i mean it's just it's so funny to me to see that and it and like you said kind of comforting that everyone was freaking out back then so now i know that my freaking out is something that is common amongst my people in our history <laughs> when we're sitting there drawing on the cave walls and you can you can see the great the great battle against secret wars and dude i did not realize how much people were especially the crisis creators were taking shots at secret wars for being tied into the toys i had no idea I mean, there, there's a little, there's a little thing in Crisis Number One where Marv Wolfman in his text piece goes, you know, why are we doing this? Well, certainly not to sell toys. And I never really caught that before. But then in like interviews with Wolfman and Perez and all that, they're like, yeah, we're not doing this. We want to do this so we can do it better than Secret Wars because that was just a toy tie-in. And I'm like, damn, man. All right, let's get that rivalry going. Americans versus the communists. McDonald's versus Burger <laughs> King. Coke versus Pepsi. Marvel versus DC. I mean, I, I can travel between worlds, but I like a good fight. See, I kind of wonder if they would be as verbal about that sort of thing these days. You know, if they'd be willing to, to come out and, and make statements like that, seeing as how so many of them float back and forth. And it is so much more commercial now than it was then, or at least... It seems that way anyway. It is. I mean, when you have Marvel and DC both, uh, for better or for worse, and this isn't a judgment call on either one of them, but their, their heads aren't completely in the comics anymore. Right. You know, it's, it's what are we going to do with this property outside of the comics as well, and how can we attract people to this property to then maybe turn it into a movie or an animated series or a television series right. or something like that. And, you know, that in and of itself isn't bad. So it, it, <laughs> I guess people might have been expecting us to start bitching about it. But it's just different. It, and, and if you make peace with that, some of the books can still be enjoyable, and I can always go to my back issues. 
you know. And there's lots of back issues to read, so <laughs> there's always something new. One of my favorite covers on these uh, Marvel Ages that I got, uh, if you guys haven't seen this, uh, take take some time, look it up on the internet, and just uh, just appreciate the awesomeness. It's Marvel Age number 57. It's got a cover on it by, uh, I think this, it just says Morgan. I think it's Tom Morgan is the guy's name, the artist's name. Uh, and Joe Sinnott was the inker. And it's this beautiful cover of the top heroes in Marvel at the time. And the fact that none of them were in their, um, you know, in the incarnation that we typically think of with the character. You've got Spider-Man, but he's in his black outfit. You've got Iron Man, but he's in his Scarlet Centurion outfit. You've got the gray Hulk. You've got Thor when uh, he was very he was near the very end of the uh, Sanson run, so he was in his like Asgardian armor outfit with the beard and everything. And then you've got Steve Rogers as the captain. It's a great cover because it's all the iconic Marvel characters, yet none of them looks the way we typically think of them to look. And it it just when you see them all together like this on the one cover, it's like. Wow, what an era for Marvel that was when all of yes. their characters were in this huge state of flux, you know? And they were all good. It was. Yeah, they were all good. I mean, I can't I can't look at any one of these characters in the outfits they're wearing. I mean, and well, you know, Spider-Man can be kind of hit and miss with spec and web of, but Amazing was knocking it out of the park yep. at the time. The whole Steve Roger gives up being Captain America is my favorite Captain America story of all time. Uh, I haven't read the Walt Simonson stuff yet, but I have heard nothing bad about it. The Gray Hulk was awesome. And I love the, the is it the Scarlet Centurion or the Silver Centurion? Uh, so I think you're right. I think it is the Silver Centurion. Because I could be wrong about that, but I love that armor. I really yes. like the look of it. Yeah, that's my favorite Iron Man outfit. Um, so yeah, and and you know what? The really cool thing about this image is they still look iconic. Oh, absolutely. And that's the great thing about it is that you know even though they're not in their traditional outfits, they still look like yeah, we're Marvel. What up? <laughs> we're mopping DC's, you know, mopping the floor with DC. I mean, we got we got John Byrne coming up with a Superman concept two years before he did Man of Steel. What are you <laughs> going to do about that? Did you read that? Yes, I did. How about that? I just wish it had happened. Uh, if I guess I should tell everyone what we're talking about. Jim Shooter has a blog, and if you're not reading Jim Shooter's blog, read Jim Shooter's blog. It is great, because he tells all the secrets. Um, apparently, on several occasions, uh, but really in 1984, Marvel made a bid to license... DC's characters like they uh, the way he compared it is how they licensed the Star Wars characters and apparently John Byrne came in with a plot for the first issue that reading it seems like a heck of a lot like what he would do with uh, Superman when he finally got his hands on him and uh, Scott I used to disagree with you that um giving Superman to Marvel would be a bad, you know, would be a, I didn't think it would be a good thing. Nowadays, I'm more inclined to agree with you. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm disliking what's going on. 
I just like to see what they would do with it. Not Marvel now, Marvel back then. <laughs> I, I still think Marvel now would be uh, would be. Uh, uh, I, I think that would be the the best move for the character, simply for the fact of of Disney owning Marvel. I would love to see, you know, Disney as the overall parent company get their hands on Superman because I could see great things, great things being done with that. Maybe not necessarily with the comics, but I could see the property going in incredible places. I I could definitely see, you know, a, a great Superman movie and I'm almost thinking that it, it could be a, a, an animated movie in the traditional, like, Disney animated style. And, I, you know, I can, I can actually hear people, like, groaning with that thought. But I'm not talking about taking him and making it, like, you know, like a fluffy musical or something. I'm talking, like, taking it and making it truly epic. You know, get over whatever Disney prejudices you may have and think for a moment about, you know, some of the truly incredible animated movies that they've had over the years, you know, when they really were bringing their A game to an animated feature and now put Superman into that. And I think you or even could have Pixar something. Movie. Yeah, I think you could have something absolutely incredible. Um, plus, I mean, you know, you're talking about a company that knows how to handle properties that are, you know, national institutions. And that's what Superman is. And I think that is the biggest argument I would make for why DC doesn't deserve to have Superman anymore because they don't treat him that way. No, when they you, don't. When anymore. you have the, the creators and the, and the people that are actually in control of the company coming up and say, well, you know, Superman's had his time in the sun and why don't we let Green Lantern have the spotlight now? It tells me that they fundamentally do not understand that character or what he represents or what they even have. And it's, it's also time kind of to... insulting to Green Lantern. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know me. I don't really give a, a rat's ass <laughs> answer in one way or the other, not to mince words, but I don't. You know, I'm, I'm all about Superman. And when the, the people that are actually holding the reins to that character... Are, are saying, well, you know, we kind of just don't really want him to be front and center anymore. You know, to me, it, it, it's time to give that to somebody else. It, it's time to pass it to somebody else. It's going to appreciate it and, and do what deserves to be done with it. But I, I don't know. I think I've gone on in this particular tangent before, but that's just how I feel about it. You know, the, the character deserves better than what he's getting these days. You know, he deserves better than, you know, a, a book, you know, to, to be controlled by a, a company that doesn't care for him or doesn't respect him, to be written by creators that, that totally don't understand what the hell he's all about, and to, to be in production on a movie that looks like it's counter to everything he stands for. I just, that combination just makes me sick in the pit of my stomach. So, so to be fair, uh, I'd actually think you'd like Superman, the title Superman, right now, as written by George Perez. Uh, especially the second issue. Uh, it was really good. I was very impressed with what they did with him. I loved the, the interaction between Lois and Clark was spot on. Uh, the fight that happened in the issue and how Superman had to overcome the enemy he was fighting was really clever. 
Like, wow, this it almost felt like a burn issue of Superman. Hmm. It really did. Um, avoid Action Comics at all costs. Oh, know. yes. <laughs> but no, seriously, if you can, if you can somehow mysteriously procure a copy of the second issue, just give it a read. I might. I think you'll like it. I might. I might have to check it out. What what's the deal with that that stupid looking outfit that he's got? Why doesn't he have his traditional outfit? Uh well, they changed everybody's outfit pretty much, so Superman was just right there with him. The more I look at it, the more I um the more I kind of like it. I, I what the funniest thing about that though is in the first issue of Superman, Superman number 1. Uh, you have, like, the big cover of him holding up the crumbling Daily Planet building with his eyes glowing red because that's never been done before and it's really exciting and new. Uh, on the back cover is a Jose Luis Garcia Lopez 70s-era Superman picture of him holding a Hot Wheels car. And it's just like, wow, you're selling me one thing and marketing something completely different. <laughs> Good job there, DC. That was some great planning there. Isn't, the isn't that you... ultimately what drove Byrne away? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what Giordano told them. There's two Superman. There's the one you're writing, and there's the one we're marketing. Right. And that was one of the sticking points with him. So. Yep. Well, I want to finish my uh, my run yeah, <laughs> of these. Sorry, uh, I didn't mean to do. No, no, not at all. No, I I think we've had some good tangents, but we we run the danger of me once again going on another Superman uh, current <laughs> Superman tirade. So I'm going to curb myself in this instance. I think it's almost a toss up between which I got more of Marvel Age issues or Star Trek related comics. I, we could almost turn this into a Star Trek podcast with all the Star Trek comics <laughs> I got here. So I'm going to run through them real quick. I got the four issue Star Trek Divided We Fall miniseries from uh, Wildstorm, which just looks interesting. It's a, a Star Trek Next Generation and Deep Space Nine crossover. So I'm kind of interested in that. I For years, I have lacked the last issue of Star Trek The Modala Imperative. So I picked that up. And I'm not going to run through individual issue numbers, but suffice it to say, I got a shit ton of DC Star Trek comics. I got regular issues. I got annuals. I got special issues. I mean, I filled in tons and tons and tons of holes in my DC Star Trek collection of both Star Trek and uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. I even got... The uh, Star Trek New Frontier double time graphic novel, which I was very excited. I picked it up totally on a whim and I'm glad that I got it now because I am deep into reading uh, New Frontier and I will be coming up on this story pretty soon in my read through the timeline of New Frontier. So now I'm glad I have it. But yeah, I mean, annuals and specials and I mean, just a ton of stuff. So I'm looking at having a almost complete collection of everything Star Trek from DC Comics, which as you know, that's a ton of comics. Yes, it is. I mean, I I, I picked up a bunch of those from Chuck Sheffy yes. a year or two back, and it, it was just like basically almost a complete run of the first and second series mm-hmm. of DC and the complete Marvel series, too. So, And, you know, you're right. They did specials. They did miniseries. Uh, 
Gotta hand it to DC. They they don't really do well with licensed properties, but they exploited the Star Trek property as as much as they could. They treated it very well. I, I yes. really think uh, that. Yeah, I agree with you that they have not had a very good track record with licensed material. But Star Trek, they did well. I, I they they did it better than I think anybody else ever did it. Um, and it's funny to say that right before I'm going to talk about the book that I was most excited about, which uh, of the Star Trek ones, which was uh, Star Trek, <clears throat> excuse me, Untold Voyages number five. You can actually hear uh, Chris Honeywell and I talk yeah. about this on uh, Star Trek Monthly. Was it the, uh, the last Star Trek Monthly Monday? I think it was. I think it was. I think it was because it really made me want to get that issue like right after the episode was over because it sounded so awesome. Damn, it was good. It was so good. The art was great. The story was great. Yeah, track this down, folks. Star Trek Untold Voyages number five. It was the last issue of that series. It was good Star Trek. I really enjoyed that. I even got some Star Wars books. I got the first four issues, which is, uh, I believe, completes an arc. Yeah, it is. It's uh, Issues one through four completes a, a story arc in itself. It's basically the first trade, I believe, of uh, Star Wars X-Wing Rogue Squadron. I've never read any of these. I've heard mixed things about them, but uh, I've always been curious. So I went ahead and I picked those up. Also got a Rogue Squad. This is another just random issue. It says, again, one of four. This is Battleground Tatooine. But what Dark Horse does with all their Star Wars comics is they renumber them for every new story arc. So sometimes it's tough to tell what actual issue number it is if you're going by the individual issue numbers. Because this one doesn't give the individual issue number on the cover. It just renames it as a whole new miniseries, even though it's really not. Then... Getting back to uh, quote unquote comics proper here. Again, I uh, replaced some uh, well loved, well worn coverless comics. One of these I am so excited about. And uh, I can't say much about it other than uh, I'm going to be talking about it very, very soon on my brand spanking new Superman show that I hope Yay. you guys check out. My. Uh, I've got a few things to say about Superman show. This is Superboy number 158. And uh, if you haven't ever read this, read this story, I'm going to be covering it. It's weird. It's wacky. I love it. I've uh, been a big fan of this story since I was a a wee tyke. And uh, I'll tease it here. It's a great cover of Superboy floating in space. I'm not sure who the artist is. I want to say it's Neil Adams, but I could be wrong. But it's Superman, or excuse me, Superboy, and he's looking at a space capsule, and inside are Jor-El and Lara. And he's looking at them going, they're, they're alive, my real mother and father. And the story is entitled Superboy's Darkest Secret. It's a damn good story, and I can't wait to talk about it. So you said it didn't make all that much sense. The story itself does not make a whole hell of a lot of sense. <laughs> But in an awesome way. Um, A really, really, really beautiful cover of... uh, It's a Neil Adams cover on Superboy number 160. And it's Superboy, and he's on the surface of the moon, and he's holding his... He's kind of got this expression, almost like... 
imagine like when Superman is being pained by kryptonite and he's like holding his hand up to his head and he's like, oh, you know, the agony. He's doing a pose very similar to that, except it's not kryptonite that seems to be hurting him. It's the actual earth in the background. And he's saying, after what I did, no punishment's bad enough. I've got to exile myself from my family, my friends, my earth forever. And it's a great Neil Adams cover. That's 160. Also, Superboy number 160, which, again, I think is a uh, Neil Adams cover, but it's just a really weird one where uh, Lana Lang and her uh, archaeologist father are breaking into a tomb. And he says, in a minute, we'll learn the secret that's been hidden here for centuries. And Superboy is flying in going, stop, don't enter that tomb. And we, as the reader, are seeing that inside the tomb is a dead, I guess dead, Superboy, but he's dressed up like a like an Aztec or something. It's really <laughs> freaky looking. I love this shit. I love these weird, wacky covers. Um, Neil Adams was one of the best with just those creepy, weird covers. You know, covers that in a lot of ways should have just been laughable in their concepts, like you know the Superboy that's gone blind or you know something like that. But he just he had a way of making them work to where they were they were disturbing. You know they were. Why creepy. does Superman? Why does Superboy have space herpes? Right. <laughs> I must exile myself from my friends. I have dun 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 space herpes. <laughs> Love covers like that. And then I just got a, a bunch of cover or excuse me a bunch of issues of uh, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. I got 215, 233, 237 and 254. I'm getting that much closer to completing my run of uh Mike Grell era uh Superboy and the Legion. I got uh some more issue I got an issue of Superman 230 it's 234 yeah 234. I got the World of Krypton miniseries. I've never read this before. I've never had it before, so I picked that one up from him. I got a... Uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on it, because I rather liked it. Now, that's... Uh, isn't that the first DC miniseries? Is that... Am I yes, correct? it is. Okay. Yeah, I like the uh, the covers on these, especially number three, where it's... Uh, this like giant Superman in the background, and then you've got Baby Kal-El blasting off from Krypton as it blows up. It's by uh, Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano. It's a great cover. That's the third issue. Now, I'm looking forward to reading that. I got, uh, and then I got. Uh, this is all rounded out with just a bunch of random issues of World's Finest Comics, just to kind of plug some uh, some holes in my collection. One of which is uh, number two fifty six which is one of the uh, those great big huge dollar comics, the 68-page Giants. And I've been collecting these because I'm trying to complete my run of the Shazam backup features that were in there. Because a lot of the actual issues from this era of World's Finest, they're very hit and miss. Uh-huh. And sometimes the Shazam story turns out to be the only thing in the whole book that I really give a crap about. But every once in a while you get... Uh, a world's fine, you know, an actual like Superman, Batman team up story that would be drawn by uh, like Rich Buckler or uh, uh, Jose Garcia, you know, uh, Garcia Lopez. Um, and there's another, I'm trying to think of who the other artist is. Anyway, so every once in a while, there'd be some really good stories in there. But I, I think as you were telling me before we got started, you're finding that uh, the same thing i always thought about world's finest is that it's extremely hit and miss with that title 
usually more miss than hit, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> it's very, very sad. But that was the haul. I uh, I did not count it up. But there's got to be, it's got to be pushing 200 books. It's crazy. I mean, it's, it's a ton of stuff that I got. And I was just, when it, when it came in the mail, I was just pouring through it. Like, I was like a kid at Christmas. I was like, man, this is freaking awesome. So again, if we have not said it enough times, thank you so much, Devin. This was really Yes, really that cool. was very awesome of you, sir. <laughs> I do appreciate it. I love my books. Me too. They make me happy. <laughs> when skies are gray. I just want to put them on the floor and roll around in them. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. <laughs> Please don't take my comics away. Well, do we want to take a little break and then come back and cover some emails? I think that would be great. All right. said Mongo, didn't he? That's wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies, a podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as The Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of the Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at flashlegacies.linksit.com Wow, hello there, lovely ladies. May I just say that you look quite beautiful in your matching Slave Leia metal bikinis? You have permission to come aboard my den of nerd erotica. Some people would call it my mom's garage. I call it 10.1 forward. Can I interest you in a death stick? Nope. I was just kidding. Have a shot of Tranya. Once you get loosened up, we can play a friendly game of strip fizzbin. Let me loosen that strap. Hey suckers, Maury Clawhammer here, okay? You want your freaking Star Wars? I got your Star Wars right here! What about the Star Trek? You like that shit too, right? Right? That's what I thought. Well, we got that and we got more freaking comics than you can read in your entire miserable goddamn life. Hey, there's even a girl who talks about unicorns and goddamn Harry Potter and M... 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 Them goddamn Oriental cartoons with the big eyes. So you get your ass over to the Two True Freaks podcast at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. That's spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, all right? All right? Good. You can get there on the internets and choose from hundreds of quality Two True Freaks podcasts. And would it kill you to buy a goddamn t-shirt? Remember, Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks. gathered together from the far reaches of the internet.
are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, The Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, Superman Forever Radio, The Superman Vidcast, The World's Best Podcast, and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com, as well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton, and Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton, from Pendant Audio Production. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, J. David Weeder, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Alrighty, folks, we are back with our emails. I'm not. I am. I'm back, so I'm going to start with that. <laughs> uh, That's getting to be something of a pattern with you, sir. <laughs> do, you re- do you really want to go in on this? Do you really? Nah, do you really? Don't, don't, let's not fight in front of the kids. <laughs> I, <laughs> Scott, go wait in the car. Save it for later. Uh, <laughs> our, uh, nope. Not even going to go where I was going to go with that. Whoop your um, ass off, off air. <laughs> I have military training. I know how to kill a man with my thumb. Uh, The first email is from Sean Foster. It says, Crisis on Earth Prime, Pear Dagaton, and Alter Ego Issues. Hey, Scott and Mike. Hey! Thought I dropped... Thought I'd drop you a line now that the great hiatus is over. Much like Sherlock Holmes, Tales of the JSA has come back stronger than ever. I've been happy to to have new episodes to listen to these last few months. Now, don't you ever leave us loyal, loyal listeners hanging like that ever again. Or there will be consequences. Dire consequences. Just kidding. Please don't send the DeMonzo lawyer corps after me. <laughs> It's good too because once you unleash them, you can't you can't unleash them. There's a there's a dude that's in the middle of the ocean. He he does a little horn thing. It's kind of like releasing the Kraken and and the Clash of the Titans, except different. Uh, the multi week coverage of Crisis on Earth Prime was awesome, even with Scott's constant gr- Scott's constant grumblings about why the heroes shouldn't have remembered Paradigatus. Hey, sometimes you just let your suspension of disbelief take over and just enjoy the ride. Of course, I have a personal no-prize answer to those concerns that is linked to how the villain himself remembers his previous efforts to conquer the world. We all know that the ginger would-be dictator retains some subconscious memories of his earlier battles with the JSA and the All-Stars. Is it not reasonable to assume that similar traces are left in the minds of his enemies, but because they are not at the core of the alterations of the time to the time stream, they do not resurface as easily as Periwinkle's memories do. Instead, they manifest as instinctual wariness when Degaton makes his move and eventually blossom back into full memories once the villain changes the timeline. Of course, when the proper order of things begins to reassert itself, these memories fade into those feelings they have averted, some great disaster that is often expressed at the end of the stories. And even then, it's only in the immediate 
present that such thoughts can be expressed because soon those trace memories are completely submerged dormant until Paradegaton tries once more to conquer the world. That's a good no prize explanation. He just gave me a big old headache. Um, <laughs> don't make him think, folks. See, it says, "Is it not reasonable to assume?" That's the problem. Is I don't want, I, I shouldn't have to assume, and I don't like to assume because when you assume, you make a sum of you and me, or some something like that. So, um, when you make an assumption, you make an ass out of you and umption. <laughs> So, but yeah, I think that's kind of, isn't that what we kind of worked out was something like, well, I think it actually came up in a, damn it, I, help me out here, Mike. You know where I'm going with this, right? Did, didn't this kind of come up, I'm trying to remember if it came up in the story or if it came up in the letters page uh, part of the, or one of the recent. I don't remember the timeline Roy. was changed. Hmm? I said I don't remember the timeline was changed. <laughs> Sorry, that was me being a smartass. I think something like this was addressed by Roy Thomas. Mm-hmm. I just don't remember where. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it was in the letters page. Uh, to continue, now I found the overall story to be rather good, if a bit predictable. I loved the George, George, George. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. Let me take that over again. <laughs> I loved the George Perez covers for the JLA issues, even if they deceived one into thinking there was more of the same coolness inside. How much better would this story have been if the whole arc had been ens- penciled by Perez and inked by Ordway? I, th- I think the words a lot come to mind. Might have been like having Crisis of Infinite Earths come early. I don't quite have the same disdain you folks do for the Joe Kubert covers for All-Star Squadron, but it was hard not to contrast them with the Perez work. And in that light, the All-Star covers come up way short. Amen. I agree that the teams went out to track down the various stolen nuclear missiles were rather haphazard in their makeup, but what that might have been a byproduct of a tale coming from two different writers. I get the feeling that Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway had particular team-ups they wanted to write, even if they made little sense tactically. Hence the weird groupings. But I did enjoy the back-and-forth betrayals between the crime syndicate and Per Degaton. It is nice to see the bad guys not playing nice with each other, but not having the whole plan fall apart because of it. Now, something I want to bring due to some discussion in the Alter Ego magazine. Two issues that you guys should really get your hands on are 93 and 94. In those mags, there are a pair of articles that mimic the format of the coverage of All-Star Squadron and the other series in the All-Star Companions, save that they cover all of the JSA appearance outside of the yearly team-ups with the JLA. They cover appearances by Power Girl and the Huntress, as well as the Mr. and Mrs. Superman stories. There's supposed to be a third part that will cover whatever happened to stories and E2 villain appearances, but it hasn't appeared yet as I can see. Uh, I have those now. Uh, I got them directly from Tomorrow's, and I think you ordered them as well. I did. This is, uh, I actually lent heavily into why I uh, I don't buy them anymore, is because <laughs> I'm pretty sure that one of the two of those issues was, was one of the ones that I purchased, and then Tomorrow's offered them for free right about the time that they came out as like free di- digital downloads on their website. 
as some special promotional thing, yet they didn't throw a bone to those of us that actually purchased the damn things. And it really ticked me off. And, uh, and so I just kind of, I just kind of tuned out at that point. I'm content to purchase them as back issues now because I can typically track them down a lot cheaper than buying them brand new. It's not really a dig at the magazine. I like them. I, you know, I like everything that tomorrow's publishes quite a bit, but unfortunately the stuff's very expensive. Yeah, they are. They are getting kind of expensive now. Unfortunately, it, 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 it it's a little sad really because I understand the pressure they're under financially because doing a magazine nowadays has to freaking suck. In terms of, uh, you know, the cost of printing a magazine. But, yeah, the only reason I, I bought them online is they're a little cheaper and you get a free digital download with them. So it's nice that I have it in two formats. Now, the section on the Huntress answered one lingering question as to why there wasn't another trade collecting the remainder of her backup stories. It's because the later stories weren't done by Levitz and Staten. They also apparently de-emphasized the whole Earth 2 setting and there were no appearances by any other heroes and all of the other villains were new creations. Anyway, this email is starting to ramble on a bit, much like the episode that uh, it is being read on. So it's... No, that's, that's not him, folks. That's me. So it's best to stop it here. I'm looking forward to the coverage of the introduction of Infinity Incorporated once the Brainwave story finishes up. Until next time, don't you go change it. Sean Foster. <laughs> well, he brings up an interesting point about the uh, the Alter Ego magazine, and I think you and I have talked about this before as well. I can't remember if we've if it's all been strictly off air or if we've talked about this all at all on air. But it basically gives us a checklist to go by for mm-hmm. Earth Two stories, and I know that we've really we've got kind of gone back and forth as far as. Do we want to cover it? And if we do, what do we want to cover in those? And by and large, I really still would like to cover the majority of the stuff that they talk about in there, you know, particularly like the the Brave and the Bold issues, um, the Whatever Happened to stories, things like that. Even some of the Huntress stuff I'd, I'd still really like to. But it all came down to um, time... And where would we fit it in as far as, you know, episodes and things like that? And then just, uh, I think enthusiasm was part of it, too, because I I really started to get into the Huntress material. But the more I read of it, the less impressed I grew with it. You know, the art when it was Staten was fantastic. But the stories just got kind of stupider and stupider as they went along it just wasn't particularly exciting or interesting and he's absolutely right that at over time uh they really did kind of make it seem like this was just you know present day dc they they really did not call attention to the fact that this was the daughter of the Earth 2 Batman operating on Earth 2. They they really stayed away from that whole element altogether. I, I don't know whether it was a conscious decision or what. So they don't really feel connected, you know, to Earth 2 or to the Justice Society or anything like that. Um, but at the same rate, just the completest in me keeps thinking, wow, you know, we need to do something with that. So I don't know, maybe eventually... 
But what I what I fear is more than likely going to happen is we're going to end up getting to you know the the time when we're really in the thick of things where we've got All Star going on, we've got Infinity Inc going on, and then we're going to get through the crisis and all. And once that happens, Earth Two stuff is kind of a moot point at that you know at that time. So yeah, if we get to it, we get to it. If we don't, we don't. But there are still um, a handful of particular stories that I want to cherry pick out of those lists that are in. Um, Alter Ego 93 and 94 that I want to make a point to get to um, before, you know, we're basically done with Earth 2, you know, like that, uh, the Brave and the Bold. I know there's a couple Brave and the Bold stories that we, you know, we're each uh, itching, you know, itching to do because there's that one that you like that tells the story between Batman and Catwoman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the one that I always really liked, which I think is a Christmas story with uh, Batman and the Huntress, you know, the Earth One Batman and the Huntress. I always liked that story a lot. So at the very least, those I want to knock out. And I'd, I'd at least like to take a cursory glance at the uh, whatever happened to stories, because a good number of those stories do cover um, JSA members, and a, and a number of them cover. Um, both the core members and a couple of the the people that we're going to be seeing in uh, All Star on regular, you know, like Robot Man, for example. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious about that stuff as well. So yeah, at the very least, that's the material I, I definitely want to make a point to get to at some point, even if it has to be in some sort of special that we release or something like that. But uh, either way, kind of works. I mean, I. Uh... I'd be up for that. Yeah. And then there's some of the other stuff that, frankly, I could give a rat's ass about. You know, like the Mr. and Mrs. Superman stories, the Wonder Woman stories, that sort of thing. I mean, it's like, eh. Yes, they're technically on Earth, too, but they don't really lend anything to the overall big picture that is, you know, the tales of the Justice Society of America. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. And I've got the next email, don't I? All right, so the next one here is from our old buddy Stan Johnston, and he yay Stan Johnston. <laughs> he writes in about episode uh, tales number fifty three. He says hi guys. He says just a few comments on your most recent episode. He says you talked about Roy Thomas being worried, which made me think about Steve Englehart because I just finished reading a lot of his Avengers and Doctor Strange runs. Now that dude was wordy. Yes, he was. He was. Like you said, it's not meant as a knock against the writers because that was the typical style of the time. But I'm pretty sure I've read novellas in less time than it takes to work through some of that stuff. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. You know, I just read uh, the classic, uh, what do you call it, Cree Scrawl War by, um, damn, who the hell wrote that? Was that Englehart or was that... Thomas, one of the two. That was Roy Thomas yeah. with some Neil Adams artwork right there. Holy the beginning. Christ, I never thought I was going to make it through that. I mean, it's wow. I mean, I know it's, it's you know, highly thought of and all that. And it was a good story and all, but wow. Yeah, you talk about wordy. Anyway, Stan continues, he says, even so, if given a choice between that and today's comics, uh, what with being able to read an issue on a trip from the couch to the fridge, I take the old school style, you know, you and me both. It says, at least you felt like you were getting your money's worth. Seriously, you probably get more actual writing in a single issue of Engelhart's Avengers than you do in an entire story arc these days. I completely agree with him on that. 
mm-hmm. before I get sidetracked on how things were in my day, I'll just look. Uh, I'll just say I look forward to you interviewing Roy Thomas. Hopefully, in the near future. It's hard to believe he's uh, seventy years old now. Yeah, we got to get up. That is kind of hard yeah. to believe. <laughs> yeah, putting it that way, we need to get on that. <laughs> he says Mike nailed it. Uh, when talking about what makes Jerry Ordway's art stand out so much, especially on All-Star Squadron. His attention to detail was by far his strongest asset while working on that series. Not only did he give you uh, complete panels with detailed backgrounds, he was also meticulous in his attention to the details of the characters. Even artists I don't especially care for get extra points from, uh, from me if they just put some detail into their backgrounds, it's always annoying and still is to get page after page with characters on a colored field. Yeah, I highly agree with that. It says Mike expressed surprise that Scott and Chris never set themselves on fire as kids. He says, well, I did. I was probably around 10 and had some uh, Hot Wheels that were involved in a horrific crash and such devastation called for fire. Luckily, I knew where my dad kept a lawnmower gas and where the kitchen matches were. Soon, there was a conflagration worthy of the towering inferno, or at least a Ray Harryhausen flick. Anyway, after a few minutes, <laughs> anyway, after a few minutes the flames began to die down, and I wasn't having any of it. I poured more gas on the fire, not realizing that the flames would follow the stream back up to my soaked fingers. Yeah, I wasn't the brightest kid. Ow! Fortunately, I escaped with only some minor blistering and a valuable lesson that has stuck with me for 35 years. I also got my ass whipped, (laughs) which I resented terribly at the time. But as I look back on the incident now, I can only marvel at the restraint I was shown. Later, Stan. Yeah, um, I know what you mean, man. It's I look back at those days and it's like, oh my god, you know how did how did I survive for one thing, but also survived with like all my fingers and toes and never lost an eye and all that sort of thing. Because yeah. But, you know, that's why, in a, in a funny kind of way, I actually agree with, with Chris Honeywell to to a certain extent that kids today are very coddled by their parents and maybe a little too protected to where maybe it, it doesn't give them that, that, I don't know what you would call it, that edge that I think mm-hmm. kids of our era had where, you know, you, you took your knocks and sometimes it took – knowing a friend of a friend of a friend that actually had set their stupid selves on fire, you know, and maybe been seriously maimed or, or even killed because of it, you know, to, uh, to give you a little bit of perspective in life. Whereas today it's like, you know, who, who today, you know, what kid today blows their fingers off with fireworks because they were getting careless. None of them do because you can't get your hands on anything but that pussy fireworks stuff from like Walmart. So, yeah. Anyway, where the hell were we going with that? <laughs> I don't know. I was like fearing for your children's safety all of a sudden. <laughs> no, seriously, handle the C4. It'll be great. <laughs> no, 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 seriously. Just 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 do it. No, 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 no. Honey, they'll be fine, you know. And if they take themselves out, they'll go out like men. And that's the important thing, <laughs> I think. So, Alrighty, next up is from our good friend, Luke Giaconetti. Episode 54 feedback, email for emails. 
Hey guys, this storyline about the JSA being brainwashed by Brainwave and living in their nightmares sounds pretty cool. Kind of a standard sort of super team story, but in this sense, I think it is very appropriate. And Michael, I agree, that cover is pretty awesome. I especially like Wonder Woman's curly hair. Brainwave is just a plain old douchebag. <laughs> the name Brainwave makes me think of the bad guy Brain Emperor from The Shield, a ridiculous Golden Age Archie character who was recently revamped by DC. I haven't read any of the new stuff. I liked the Impact books, though. Also from the previous issue about the World's Fair, hearing about them reminded me of the superlative and super freaky Phantom of the World's Fair story. From Matt Wagner and Steve Steve Siegel's Sandman Mystery Theater, 41 to 44. That story revolved around a disturbed, sadomasochistic homosexual man who kidnaps visitors to the fair, tortures, and mutilates them before dumping their bodies on the fairgrounds. So, as Scott would say... <laughs> Not a children's book. <laughs> Evidently, this character would appear in All-Star Squadron number 65 before being revamped in the pages of SMT. I hate to email into a show about emails, especially my own, but here I am doing it anyway. My point regarding Deus, let me just say D-E-M to help Scott's pronunciation. Hey, screw you, pal. Jose said that Infinite Crisis utilizes a D-E-M to split the worlds apart. My argument is that C-O-I-E, Crisis on Infinite Earths, uses a D-E-M to merge the worlds together. If it's a plot device to split worlds apart, then it's only logical that it was a plot device to merge them together. It's not a value judgment on either series, whether one likes IC or not, and clearly Scott does not. It uses the same concepts as Crisis, i.e. there is a multiverse which can be impacted by extremely powerful outside forces. And so, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. And as I said, I dig both stories, so I'm cool with both of them utilizing this device. Maybe this doesn't exactly address his deus ex machina uh, part of his argument, but I think the, the big thing that differentiates those two stories is that, to me, Crisis on Infinite Earths always felt very organic and very much like the logical progression of where the DC multiverse was headed at that time because it was getting to be a more complicated and convoluted and, for some people, I guess, hard to follow thing where they this was their attempt to streamline it into one continuity that hopefully would make sense to everybody um infinite crisis can somebody raise their hand and tell me what the purpose of that was other than to try to ride some sort of nostalgia train and uh you know, I mean, where where is that story is not organic in the same way that Crisis on Infinite Earths is. I'm sorry, it's just not. Does it have some cool elements? Sure it does. I mean, there's parts of that story that I like, but overall it doesn't hold a candle to the original story that inspired it. And in a lot of ways, and you and I were just talking about this before we got started tonight, Mike. Yep. In a lot of ways, it does a supreme disservice to the story that inspires it. Not the least of which is it undoes the fucking story. So, again, I'm not sure if that uh, addresses the DEM thing that inspired this little argument. But to me, that's the basic difference. You've got one story that flows organically. You've got another story that just, for whatever reason, they decided to undo everything. That's my bitch with Infinite Crisis in a nutshell. I just hate that they turned um, 
Alexander Luther and Superboy Prime into villains because yeah. they were the he- they were heroes in Crisis. I also disliked how overtly violent it was. I am not a guy that is opposed to violence in media. Right. I mean, I like watching violent films. Um, I think some restraint needs to be shown. Uh, in terms of a book that, yes, these books are not marketed to kids anymore. I'm not going to get into the whole argument that comics should be marketed to kids. Uh, I'm of the personal opinion that I think anybody should be able to pick up a comic and enjoy it. Uh, you know, you don't write down to the kids, but don't make it too adult for the, uh, you know, for the adults. Uh, you know, you, you had, uh, in several cases, scenes of uh, Superboy Prime ripping limbs off you had black adam killing psycho pirate in an extremely violent way and graphic and to me one less is more two uh what you don't see is often more horrific than what you do see and three i don't think there should be decapitations in a story where superman's present right call me old-fashioned i think that dc and they continue to kind of do this, does mature from the perspective of what a 15-year-old thinks is right. mature. Right, yes. Like, oh, that's cool. They look at, look at him rip that guy's head off, you know? You know, look at that girl's boobs. Boobs. Right. I just want to say boobs again. Um, I, I, I think that's where the story... Because if you listen to, like, the graphic audio version, which is reading the novel with music and actors and stuff, I really like the story. I like listening to it because I think they bring an epicness to it that wasn't really there in the comic book itself because obviously graphic audio had a lot more time, you know, it was basically almost like 12 hours or so of, uh, of reading the book. But I, I, there was a nostalgia train basically going on, but I think they went into the, they derailed by saying, wow, wasn't crisis great? Okay, here's what would be cooler. Let's make two of the heroes bad guys. Yeah. Wah. So, but none of that happened, so why are we even talking about it? <laughs> Regarding Martian Manhunter's death in Final Crisis, I agree 100% with Michael that the death was senseless and frustrating. Hence why I was happy when Johns resurrected him. I think DC had no real clue what to do with the Manhunter after his failed Brave New World miniseries. So maybe the death and resurrection worked out for him in the long run. Time will tell on that one. When I hear off-panel, I think about something literally not being shown on the page, which clearly is not the case with the Manhunter. So I think Michael and I are of the same opinion overall, but I misunderstood what he meant with his statement. Final Crisis Requiem also had the great scene of Manhunter mentally attacking the bad guys before he was killed. See, I think that that whole thing, I I think I might have actually hurt whatever you had said in that episode because I agreed with you that I also remembered um, the Manhunter being killed off panel. So I, I think that your original statement, I think you really did mean literally off panel. And I backed you up on that because I thought it was the same thing. And then it turned out that we were both wrong. But one way or the other, the way he was offed in that was just disgraceful. And oh, definitely. It, you know, and it suddenly occurs to me that I would throw the Martian Manhunter on the pile with, uh, you know, the, the characters we've talked about that are in desperate need of a makeover because they have an inherent coolness 
that somehow just doesn't seem to come out every time they they get a new book and a, and a new attempt at you know a, a new leash on life basically or a new lease on life. I I think yeah, I misspoke myself. <laughs> you can't myself. live with them. You can't live without them. <laughs> There's something irresistible. Ish. I'm sorry. You said new leash on life. Yeah, I I, I went to the Muppets. <laughs> um. No, I, I, seriously, I think Martian Manhunter is a very cool character. You know, he has some real cool character potential, but the problem is they, they keep doing the same thing with him that they do with so many other characters like Aquaman and, and Captain Marvel, where they bring him back, but they don't change any damn thing. And they, they just keep trying to bring the same baggage to the table and the book lasts for six issues and then fades away and everybody's left scratching their world. Why didn't that work? Well, it's like, because if it didn't sell the last umpteen times, why is it going to sell this time? Yeah. It's I, like, what the hell, dude? Right. So, I mean, I like the Martian Manhunter in theory and he can, as evidenced by Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, he can be a really interesting and cool character. So... What's the problem? And I think the well, problem well, is is the the baggage he comes with, and every damn time they put out a new series, they they saddle him with the same baggage again. I'm gonna I'm gonna agree and disagree with you. Um, I'm gonna agree with you that in Justice League, the animated series, they did a fantastic job uh, making that character relevant. I I think where the mistake was made with. Um, Justice League Unlimited is that they sidelined him. He basically became Panthro from the Thundercats, where he just hung out up on the on the watchtower and directed where everybody went. And it's just like that's not that's not quite what I kind of wanted out of out of what they were doing. You know, I wanted to see more of the Martian Manhunter, but that's a that's a that's a rant for another time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke continues, Scott, I must have mistaken you with someone else regarding Aquaman. My bad. For the record, I think Awesome is Aquaman I think Awesome is an Aquaman character as well. <laughs> I think Aquaman is an awesome character as well. He is. The thing about Hawkman is that he is not the guy with wings, so much as he is traditionally the archaic guy. Both the Golden Age Hawkman, who was human, and the Silver Age Hawkman, who was an alien, used archaic weapons in a modern setting, going along with his classical sort of barbarian look. Bare chest and arms, intimidating helmet. Uh, well, depends on the helmet. Right. This is the current take on the character as well. He's a throwback of a character more akin to something from a sword and sorcery story uh, than a superhero story. The Hawkworld post-crisis Hawkman is more of a straightforward science fiction character who was just as likely to use a gun as he was to use his Katar punching sword. That's awesome. So, Katar Hall, his 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 name meant sword. That's actually really cool. I hmm. like that. And Scott, no, honestly, whether you like or dislike Hawkman really doesn't bother me. I like all sorts of stuff which most people consider to be junk. Devil Dinosaur springs readily to mind, and I dislike things I am supposed to love. Amen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to raise some points about Hawkman because of my affection for the character, which is great, Luke. I love it when people write in. I think Scott feels the same way. Yeah. And defend what they love because, one, it gives another perspective, and two, it may lead me to something really cool. Right. So, 
Having never read Hawkman in All-Star Squadron, other than his minor appearances in the two issues which were adapted from the unpublished Steel Number 6, I'm willing to accept your point that he's not handled well in this series. He is a character that has been considered unrelatable and boring for most of my lifetime. Ironically, my favorite superhero of all time is Iron Man, who is also considered to be unrelatable and boring for most of my lifetime. Anyway, thanks for reading uh, and your responses. Keep up the good work on the show. Luke, P.S., sorry this was so long. P.P.S., Scott, I may take you up on your offer regarding All-Star Squadron. I'll talk to you off-air about it. Oh, God, I don't remember what offer that was now. <laughs> it was for H.J.'s. <laughs> well, you know, he, he says ironically about the Iron Man thing, and I guess I can kind of see that because... You know, my my thing with Hawkman is that if there were more stories, if I I could be pointed to more stories with Hawkman that are more like the Hawkman stuff that I really liked, which was that stuff that uh, Palmiotti and Gray were doing, then I would be more interested in that character. But I've never found anything that really was like that. So, you know, it's like that's my nice little era of Hawkman. Iron Man's kind of the same way for me because... You go back uh, beyond the stuff when uh, Michelini was writing Iron Man. I don't really give a rat's ass about him. I I, I do find him to be kind of – he was kind of a stiff. And that stuff even further back when they were constantly relying on the thing of, you know, he had the shrapnel close to his heart and he could, you know, he could kick it at any – oh, I hate that stuff. That is such a crutch because the two things that could be guaranteed to happen in every single story was that he was going to mention the shrapnel next to his heart and that he at some point his transistors ran out of power and he was he was in imminent danger of losing the battle. Every damn story was like that and it got to be really old. So when they finally did something a little bit different with him. And he hit that really cool stride in the, I think that was like the late 70s. I like that stuff. You know, and then he, he went on his drunk benders and lost his company and battled Obadiah Stane. I mean, all that stuff to me, that to me is like classic Iron Man. And hell, the character had been around, what, like 25 years by that point. Mm-hmm. But that's the stuff I really liked because it was doing something different with that character and kind of showing you where the inherent coolness in him was. Same thing with with Hawkman. I mean, I don't – honestly, I don't hate the character. It's just up until that particular era where it finally clicked for me, uh, he just didn't click for me. He just didn't work for me. He was – you know, and I'm sorry, Jack, uh, Luke. I'm not trying to you know diss your guy. I'm just saying he was nothing more than that that guy that needed a damn shirt that wore wings and went around smacking people in the head with a mace. And I would just found him to be really boring, but it, it, you know, I, I really am of the firm belief that there are no bad characters. There's just, yeah. you know, the, there, there are characters that are out there just waiting for their, their moment in the, in the spotlight. They're waiting for a, a good writer or a good artist, or hopefully both, to, to take that character and show him a little love to bring out the inherent coolness in him or her. And I love it when that happens every once in a while, even today that'll still happen where somebody will find some character that, that all these years has just needed 
you know, that that extra bit of attention to show why they're cool. And Catman comes to mind as a perfect example. I always thought that character had a really cool look and and had real potential to be the way I always envisioned Catman if if they were ever going to take him and kind of dust him off and make him awesome was I wanted Catman to basically be like uh like the Wrath from the player on the other side story. He looks a lot like Batman to begin with. So I thought, well, he would be really cool as like the anti-Batman. It's not really where they went, but he's still now suddenly he's a badass. He's a really cool character. Or at least, you know, the last time I read him, he was, I, I haven't read, um, what you call it, uh, secret six in quite a while now, but the last I was reading it, they suddenly had made that character cool. Like I always kind of thought he could be, I love it when shit like that happens in comics, just as the nature of the medium and the fact that it's been around now since, you know, the, the thirties, you know, comics are littered with characters like that, that you can look at and go, you know, that guy could be really awesome if somebody would just do something with him. And sometimes it's obscure background characters, you know, that, that only a handful of people have ever heard of. And then sometimes it's people that have been front and center, you know, in in the media, like Aquaman. I mean, everybody knows who Aquaman is, but he he's a perfect example of somebody I would point right to and go, you know, that guy could be cool if somebody would just do him right. Martian Manhunter, another good example. So, yeah. So I didn't mean to, you know, to get down on your guy. Because Hawkman, you know, it, it, he has been proven to me that he can be cool. I'm just hoping that now that he has proved that, you know, they, they can do something cool with him, that they can continue to do it, and they don't go back, you know, I hope they don't backtrack. Yeah, no, I'll agree with yeah. you on that. <laughs> that older stuff, I'm sorry, I just, I, I can't, I can't hang with that older stuff with Hawkman. Okay, next email is from our friend Terry Foster, and he writes, his is entitled simply, All-Star Squadron. He says, hi, Mike and Scott. This is my first time emailing any show, and I enjoy all your shows. I have been listening to the episodes back-to-back, trying to catch up, and I got to the episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America, where you guys talk about issue four. I remembered uh, I had this issue and decided to read it before I listened to you. After I was done reading the issue, I started your show and noticed something that you didn't make a joke about. It's on the top of page three. Uh, Green Lantern asked Johnny Thunder if he and his Thunderbolt uh, was keeping Wonder Woman entertained. And Johnny says, uh, and I quote, she's a fantastic lady with her magical plane and lasso. Uh, so, so the question is, uh, how is he keeping her entertained? I would like to point out. Um, I don't know. I think I missed something there. I, I was this supposed to be like a dirty joke. I can't. <laughs> I'm not sure. I can't. I'm, I'm catching his point in this. Did you catch this? Let me see this again. She's a fantastic lady with a magical plane and lasso. So, question is now, how's he keep? Well, <laughs> it's got a lasso and a magical plane. There you go. I think that's probably has something to do with it. There you go. I would like to point out my favorite part of issue number three is when Superman says. Uh, whoever sent us is going to be a very sorry man. (laughs) And then Batman replies, when you and the Spectre get mad, Superman, I think we can practically guarantee it. Yeah, I like that part too. There are two things I would like to say about the episode uh, where you talk about number 12 of All-Star Squadron. First, I heard that in the 70s, uh, 
when you had said two channels uh, on TV, if the president was on, your night was shot. Although today, if you have basic cable, there's like 60 channels, and still if the president is on, you lose about half the channels. I guess that's true. I hadn't really thought about that. Second, about the UFO, you asked whatever happened to it. Maybe that's the UFO that crashed in Roswell, New Mexico. Just my opinion. I See, I think a, a, there's a story in there somewhere. I think that somebody uh, could easily follow up on that and, and make something interesting out of that. Uh, so can't wait for you guys uh, to get to the 40s of the series, and then I can read along again. If the Batman versus Jesus the referee... Should be Judge Mile, uh, Mill. Is it Mills Lane or Miles? Judge Mills Lane. Judge Let's Mills get it on. Lane. And then it would be Celebrity Death Match. I <laughs> oh, almost forgot to tell Mike that Herbert the Pervert was on Coast to Coast the other night. wonder if he has a roommate uh, named Chester the Molester. That is all for now. I guess I'll be listening. <laughs> that was about the weirdest email we've gotten in a while, but it was really, it was funny. I like that one. No, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that one. Uh, we've got two here. We got another one from Terry here. Oh, I'll continue on with, uh, with okay, the, go ahead. the stream of Terry here. He says, continued from last email. He says, hi again. I just remembered something I wanted to share with you guys In either issue three or four of all-star squadron. Someone, he says, I think it's one of the heroes mentions Jack Armstrong. You guys didn't say anything about it when you reviewed, uh, reviewed those issues. Uh, but I want to tell you anyway. Uh, what they were referencing. There was a radio show on about the same time as the Superman radio show called Jack Armstrong, the All-American Boy. Jack Armstrong is also the basis to Johnny Quest. Someone uh, wanted to make Jack Armstrong a TV show but couldn't get the rights, so they changed his name to Johnny Quest. Huh. I did not know this. You know, I don't think I have ever actually watched any Johnny Quest. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of it. I know what it is, but I don't think I ever actually watched it. I wasn't a it. fan. Yeah, um, me either. I, I, I think it's, you know, it, you know it, was, it looked exciting, but I really didn't give a crap about this blonde-haired boy that was going on adventures with his Indian friend and his pilot bodyguard and his dad. I mean, it's just... Yeah. It reminded, yeah, it reminded me of like an animated version of some of those strips that you would see in the newspaper that had been running for like forty years. And I just looked at him and said, "Somebody somewhere is really into this, but it's just not me." You know what I mean? No, oh, yeah, definitely. No, I'm with you on that one, brother. <laughs> uh, I, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, if you're into it, you're into it. I yeah, mean, that, 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 that's a, you know, I I am never going to sit there except if it's child porn, and. Uh, you know, condemn you for liking something. Uh, I think child porn should be that. Oh, I will, but not for that. <laughs> Woo! Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, wait a minute. But let me clarify. I didn't mean that I would not <laughs> condemn you for child porn. I'm saying that I, I will gladly condemn people for liking things that I don't like. Just uh, in this case, not uh, not Johnny, uh, whatever the hell his name <laughs> what yes. was. it Johnny Quick? Johnny Quest, yes. So let me, yeah, uh, yeah. Let me clarify that real quick before we move on to the next thing. Probably a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got another one from Terry. He says, "JLA, JSA, All Star Squadron crossover." You know, I really liked that story. 
Yeah, it was now, great. Now that we're past it, I actually look back on it. Now I've got the fond memories all over again. I'm gonna years from now, I'm gonna forget that it's got such a crappy ending and read it, read it all over again, as if it's my first time for like the umpteenth time. Get to the end and be like, oh god. Anyway, he says, "Hi guys, I'm sorry I forgot to sign my last two emails." Since I was uh, introduced to the JSA in the zero hour, which is my favorite crisis. Oh, you poor, poor man. I'll leave him alone. He says, I am <laughs> enjoying learning more about them. Leave him alone. Just leave him alone. If the crime syndicate's Owlman was the brother to Bruce Wayne in another universe, would Huntress call him Uncle Tommy? That's a good point. That's a really good point, I think. Because, yeah, I've, I still find it extremely creepy that she calls the Earth One Batman Uncle Bruce. I, that's just bizarre to me. It's even more uncomfortable when they're both naked. <laughs> you know, I love it when every once in a while I can hit you with something, you start laughing about it and at it, and then you really start thinking about it, and then you really because, start laughing. That's because mental images started to form. Because <laughs> he's still wearing the cowl, and so is she. There you so go, and that's all. That's hot. He says at the end of the story, uh, at the end of the storyline, Mike jokingly said that Power Girl threw Firestorm into the sun, which was funny. Just curious if that uh, if that would affect him, or would it just make her want make him want her more? That's interesting. Can he could he fly into the sun? I wonder if that was ever done in any firestorm. I'm sure it was, especially that later stuff where he had the really weird looking outfit and all that. Mm-hmm. That probably because yeah. he didn't that series end with him go off to be like space faring firestorm or something yeah. like that. Yeah, Martin Martin Stein was basically the only one inhabiting the the matrix. So and he became the fire elemental. Yeah. Whereas Swamp Thing was the Earth Elemental, Nyad was the uh, Water Elemental. Water, yeah. And the Mist, I think, became the Air. Interesting time period for the book. Why, uh, where the hell was Firestorm when they needed the sun uh, reignited after... uh, He was in Extreme uh, Justice. I have no idea where Firestorm was. Maybe because he probably couldn't kill the Sun Eater. Because didn't they have to destroy the Sun Eater to get back to the Sun? Uh, or did the Sun Eater eat it and move on? Uh, I haven't read Final Crisis. Yeah. Final, Final, Final Crisis. Final Night in a long ass yeah, time. Yeah, me either. So. I, I liked the story that was happening on Earth as a result of like the Sun going out and everything. But basically the story itself was kind of stupid, I thought. But anyway... Uh, Terry wraps up by saying, uh, well, that's all I can think of for now. He says, talk to you guys later. Sincerely, Terry Foster. No relation to Sean Foster. Interesting. I don't know that guy. (laughs) He keeps borrowing money, and I hate him. So do we want to make this next one from Luke our last one for the episode since we're running up on, yeah, probably about two hours at this point? I think we should stop here just because it is Luke. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, let's. Oh, <laughs> nice. Oh, wow. I'm tired. Feeling the love. I'm tired. Feeling about... the love. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm tired of arguing about Hawkman. I don't think this has anything to do with Hawkman. <laughs> All 
I'm kidding. Has to do with Qbert, but okay. Um, our last email for tonight is episode fifty-five. Superman lives on Earth two anyway. Deal, uh, dear, tailsers. Wow. It's very amusing to me that you guys' enthusiasm for this series starts to really amp up once Superman starts <laughs> to show up. Not that I particularly blame you. Most of the time, if Superman shows up in a DC book, my interest is peculiar as well. It used to be that when a new book was being launched, Superman would pop up as a guest star to help him get people to pick the book up. This would That later seemed to pass to Batman, which to me is somewhat ridiculous. Superman should be front and center when a new hero emerges, not Batman. Oh, I know Batman will do his intimidation shtick, and that's adorable and all. But when you have someone like, say, Black Lightning, who can turn Batman into a smoldering pile of ash if he really wanted to, it loses some of its impact. The presence of Superman does seem to give the book some more weight than the previous issue you guys have discussed. Of course, part of this comes from having two Superman fans as hosts, but I think it also speaks to the time period here, where Superman still had a stroke and clout as a character. I've never heard stroke. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, whatever. Well, maybe that's why Superman's it? face is like that on the left side, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> too many Big Macs and wasn't con- being continually reimagined or revised or updated because he was so stiff and boring he's Superman for crying out loud he's not that difficult a concept but that's a rant for another <laughs> that's another rant for another time it, and we already talked about that earlier it, in the is it is it really wrong of me and, and I apologize Luke I hope this this doesn't piss you off but I'm, I'm sincere in this is is it bad that I up till a certain point in that those first two paragraphs, I thought he was kind of ripping on us. I thought he was kind of being facetious, you know? It, it really wasn't until almost the end of that second paragraph that I realized, oh, I, can, I guess he really is being sincere here. Because <laughs> I think he did kind of take us to task, in a, or maybe I'm mistaking him for somebody else, but I think somebody took us to task about are constantly kissing Superman's ass all the time, but we are two huge Superman fans. You know, I don't make yeah, apologies I mean, for that. Yeah, I, I don't either because too many people aren't. And I'm not saying that everyone should be a Superman fan because that makes it seem like I'm, you know, like, you know, <laughs> spreading the good word of Superman. And frankly, I hate it when people try to convert me. So I don't want to, co- I don't want to push that on anybody else. But, oh, I am totally going to get a stack of old action comics and start going door to door now going, have you got just a moment? To, can I speak to you about Superman? <laughs> now, if you do that, you have to wear a short sleeve white button down with a black tie, black pants and black shoes. <laughs> That's all I ask. Have you got just a moment? Have you have you accepted Clark Kent as your personal savior? <laughs> Can I tell you about Rao? Damn, am I glad my mother does not listen to this show. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Do you want me to cut that out? No, no, no. You're fine. Okay. okay. We're going to get letters, but you're fine. <laughs> If we do, I'm fully prepared for them. Amazingly, just last night, Luke uh, writes, or last night for me writing this, not for you reading this, that is, I read part of The Brave and the Bold, number 200, which you guys made reference to. Only the story I read was the first appearance of The Outsiders. I'm going to be working on a series of Outsiders blog posts for the DC Bloodlines blog, which my friend Frank runs. dcbloodlines.blogspot.com In commemoration of the end of the latest Outsiders series, since I'm a big fan of the team. 
just an amusing coincidence. The only Atari Star Wars game I ever played was Empire Strikes Back, where you battle the AT-ATs and the Snowspeeder. Mm-hmm. I really liked that game at the time, but I have not played it since I was a kid. One thing I will always remember at one point in the game is that the Star Wars theme would start playing, and you were invincible for a oh, short time. Yeah. My brother, father, and I always called that part using the force. I, I think it, I think I could be wrong. I need to go back and, and try to dig this up. But I think in the instruction book for that game, I think that is supposed to be what you were doing. Was I, I think, damn, he, he just jogged a serious memory, but it hasn't fully coalesced in my head. But it had something to do with, like, if you lived a certain length of time or you scored so many points or something, you would basically build up like this cache of force power or something. And when, okay. when you got enough of it, it activated. And yeah, for, for a brief time, your snow speeder would, would turn, uh, it would like flash or something and you were invincible. And it did, it played the, it played basically Luke Skywalker's theme. And I think it was supposed to, uh, you know, be representing that. Yeah, you were you were like supercharged with the force or something like that. Yeah, I think he's I think he's absolutely right. Or hopped up on math. Yeah, so one half a dozen of another <laughs> on that one. Scott Donkey Kong on that. Scott Donkey Kong on ColecoVision was the best. I mean, it looks pretty dang close to the NES version, which itself looks a lot like the arcade version. Although I don't think any home version had the cement factory level. Big fan of the original Donkey Kong. I have the NES version on my Game Boy Advanced, even. And Michael, really quick, the way that Nintendo saved the home game video market was by marketing the NES to toy stores rather than electronic stores. At least, at least that is what I've always read. I have to disagree with you regarding Joe Kubert's cover to Weird War Tales number 123. I really like that cover personally. I think the alien monster looks really nice, and the spaceman looks like a classic Buck Rogers-style hero. Both are nicely juxtaposed with the woman in the foreground. Plus, it is a sci-fi cover, which was uh, uncommon for Weird War Tales, which normally had period covers. I'm not going to say what's popping into my head right now. I'm really not going to say what's popping into my head oh, I hope right you're, now. I hope but... you're not going where I think you're going. No, I won't. Okay. It, it's passed. It, was re- it almost came out. <laughs> like I would need something made of cotton to stop it. Uh, but that's why DC publishes a lot of comics. So there's, no... <laughs> so there's something for everyone. Hopefully this will be the trend once more with the new 52 featuring a pair of war titles. A horror book and a western book. I say bring on more. I'll agree with that. Mm-hmm. No, seriously, I will. Even though uh, I would probably read a good war book or a good horror book or a good western book, the thing is, is that you know, with like the the Blackhawk series that's out right now, I don't like the look of it. I want. There was a Blackhawk series in the late '80s that stemmed from the Howard Chaikin miniseries, right? And there was a uh, serial, a couple serials in Action Comics Weekly. I really liked that series. It was first written by Marty Pasco, and then Doug Minch came along. It had Rick Burchett artwork. And it was really cool because Blackhawk was this not-going-to-take-any-of-your-shit type of character uh, on adventures post-World War II, which is kind of a neat little time period to set him in. I mean, setting him in World War II is cool, 
because that's that's his era. But what happens to the war hero after the war is over when allegiances change and things get a little murkier because it's not good versus evil. So I love that series. I bought that back in like 97 and just read the crap out of it. So, but the current one doesn't look. Now I have the first two issues of All-Star Western. I have not read them yet. So I'll get back to you on that one, Scott. You know what I know you're... makes me so mad is that uh, I went on eBay a while back and I was determined to, uh, to close the gap of the current or or what was the current Jonah Hex series, the one that just ended to make way for um, All-Star Western to come along. And so I looked it up to see where I had left off in that series, and I needed basically the last 10 issues, like 61 through 70, to to complete that that run. Ended up finding a lot on eBay was exactly those issues, and I won it for a song. So I finally got that gap filled in and went to the comic shop to get All-Star Western number one and to tell them to add it to my uh, my pull list. Entirely sold out of issue one and not sure that they can get any any more copies. And I was like, ah, you know, so I went through all that, you know, seemingly for nothing at, at the current moment. But hopefully I'll be able to. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll see what I can yeah. do. Yeah. See, I, I, there's nothing to my mind as a comic collector. There is nothing worse than chasing recent back issues. I hate chasing recent back issues. I would rather be looking for some obscure title from the 40s than be chasing a recent back issue because it's always a freaking nightmare. I don't know why. It just is. So hopefully I'll be able to uh, to score one. And uh, yeah, I'd like to jump on with that, but I, I need to get caught up on the uh, the prior series first. I was I was digging it and everything. It's just when I stopped uh, when I stopped buying DCs, I stopped everything, even Jonah Hex. But I I was determined that I was still going to get them. I was just like, well, I'm not going to buy them. You know, pay for them brand new. I'll just get them as uh, as back issues. So, anyway, I feel like I'm just rambling and I'm tired. And this has been a very long episode. I think we intended to uh, fully blow through all of our email and uh, clear out the email bag. And <laughs> sorry, guys, that just kind of didn't happen. But uh, we did get a little bit caught up here, and hopefully, in the next couple of episodes, we'll get even further caught up. In the meantime, don't uh, don't hesitate to write in and uh, and send us new emails because before you know it, we'll be all caught up. Don't you think? Yes, I do. <laughs> I I completely agree with the fact that we will be caught up with our emails <laughs> someday. <laughs> At some point in the near future, hopefully before the Mayan apocalypse. Well, I know that this has been a long, rambling, and weird episode, but I hope you guys got a kick out of it. And and another thing to consider, folks, uh, if you're like, God, they were just rambling. Scott and I haven't talked in like two weeks. It's been a while. And you got to understand, we're we're friends off-air as well as on-air, and we went through like a two-week period where we weren't texting as heavily or, you know, just shooting the shit, you know, just on, on Skype like we usually do. So it was kind of like, wow, we actually got to hang out. Mm-hmm. So you guys really are just seeing what it's like when Scott and I hang out. There's just usually more food involved, <laughs> um, which is not a bad thing as I'm about to go eat. So, And I've just been eating through the whole episode. So there you go. 
So I guess one of us, uh, probably you, should give the whole ending thing now that we're um, oh yeah doing that. Now that we're doing that a little differently. <laughs> oh yeah, I should maybe have that ready in front of me here. I should maybe uh, prepare well, for these for things. You. No, uh, I'm good. I got it. <clears throat> well, fuck you then. Let me. Uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just to say next time we're going to be covering the JLA JSA crossover, which looks to be pretty cool. Yeah. Then we're going to be heading into. Uh, a couple storylines featuring the Justice Society and one in uh, showcasing the Seven Soldiers of Victory with an absolutely gorgeous Jerry Ordway cover of the Seven Soldiers. Um, yes. And folks, uh, be on the listen. Is that the listen out? That, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of like being on the lookout. Keep your ears for, peeled. Uh, keep your ears peeled. for. <laughs> I like that better. Uh for another uh, episode of Crisis um, Management, I can't remember. Management, thank you. I, can't I blanked on the fucking name <laughs> um, for Crisis Management as we are uh, heading towards Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yes. Uh, the, the, the closer yes. we get, the more excited I get. I swear to God. Uh, and Scott and I may have something. No promises. But we may have kind of a special Back to the Bins episode on something involving the crisis uh, that we both bought recently. And it's really funny because we paid the exact same amount for what we got. We just did it in different ways. Yes. Which is kind of funny. So, yeah, I think we need to. Yeah, I, I liked your idea about, uh, about covering that stuff in an episode. So, yeah, I, I'd be down for that. Yeah, we we got all kinds of cool stuff that we've been talking about doing, not the least of which uh, I'll just tease because it's going to happen eventually. It's just a matter of when is it going to happen is uh, you and I have long talked about The Rocketeer and our affection for that movie. So now that you uh, have scored yourself a copy of uh, of that movie, that's got that's got to happen. And damn and the comics. And I'm really looking forward to reading that hardcover over my uh, vacation. I'm jealous because now you have the the complete Rocketeer saga, which uh, I was actually very upset to learn I don't have. I I had always believed that I had every Rocketeer appearance, and uh, actually I don't. I lack, I think, two of his very earliest appearances. So I was like, damn, I don't have them after all. So I might actually have to track down that uh, that one that you just bought because I'd really like to have the complete uh, saga start to finish. So. Anyway, let me go ahead and wrap us up on this. You know, I never really did explain it. I, I think I said something at the beginning about, you know, uh, apologizing that we had been gone and everything and that, you know, it was totally my fault. Basically what had happened was uh, I'd put in a bid a while back uh, at work to switch positions and, and go, you know, ba- basically uh, trying to be upwardly mobile and just – out of the blue, after being told, you know, be patient, this is going to be a, a multi-month process and you probably won't hear anything till like mid next year. All of a sudden, I got the call just completely out of the blue. I don't even think I waited a full two months. And uh, they were like, OK, we have this position available. Are you interested? And it was like, hell yeah, I'm interested. So uh, that's where I've been for the past couple of weeks. I've just been in some uh, pretty intense training and uh, I – Guys, I, I don't I don't do mornings and all of this stuff has been like I mean, it's so AM God himself is not even awake yet. And it was just crazy ridiculous. <laughs> and you know, it just it was killing me. So that you know 
just by the nature of things, uh, the morning thing and being in training and all that, I just I, I kind of had a personal moratorium on uh, on podcasting there for for those couple weeks. So that's where we were. Which but is uh, fine. everything should be all right now, and uh, and we'll be back, and we'll get some uh, some stuff wrapped up. We'll get caught up on things, and uh, I think you're gonna like where we're headed because uh, I spied a, a look today at this uh, JLA JSA crossover story we're gonna be looking at, and it looks really really good. So I'm excited about that, and I think you should be too. But anyway, that's it for this episode. Sorry for the long and rambling nature, but uh, like I say, I hope you got a kick out of it. I had a lot of fun. I think Mike had some fun doing this one. I had a ball. <laughs> Be sure to visit our website, which you can find at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com for more exciting podcasts that Mike is a part of, I am a part of, Chris Honeywell, Hope Molinex, Luke Giaconetti, uh, all kinds of other sad and pathetic human beings who really just don't have anything better to do with their time. Uh, join our forum. If you have not already, feel free to lurk if you like, but uh, you should really come over and check us out at www.forumforgeeks.com where you can comment on this show and its long rambling nature. You can interact with us, your fellow listeners, and just generally have a ball and maybe even learn something too. We have a great fun and friendly community over there and we really 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 want you to be a part of it so come join us as always you can tell us how badly we suck by sending us email at uh, tales of the jsa at gmail.com um no more letters about hawkman please <laughs> and of course mike and i we're all about facebook so uh you can friend us on there and you can uh you can interact with us in that manner as well. Speaking of Facebook, if you like the show, if you're listening to the show, take a moment, mention us on Facebook or whatever social networking thingy that you use. Just let other people know that you are listening to the show because, you know, word of mouth still the very best way to let other people know about us. It helps us grow our listenership, and we really, really appreciate that. Thank you for listening, thank you for downloading, and be sure to join us again next time for the tales of the Justice Society of America. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we go to meet the foe. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we did the Alamo. We will always remember how they died for liberty. Let's remember Pearl Harbor and go on to 